Well, grace in you all. Um, man, it's been a lot warmer, so hopefully it will stay that way. And uh, I always love this time when we kind of transition from winter to spring. Uh, just love the, the warmth that we can feel again. So um, God is so great in that. Um, I'm just going to go straight into time of the message. Um, today we're going to continue on in our Galatians series. Uh, the text will be Galatians 1, uh, 6 through 10. So uh, please turn there if you could. Otherwise, it will be on the screen. I'll read it for us, and I'll pray for us, um, and then we'll go right into our time together with the Word. Galatians 1, 6 through 10. Verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another one, but there is some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. It is the word of God. Uh, let's bow our heads together and let's pray uh, before we go any further. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Uh, thank you for your uh, daily faithfulness to us, the sunshine outside, um, and uh, it's all the ways you uh, guide us and protect us, and um, uh, being with us is thoroughly uh, by your grace. Uh, we do not want to take any of this moment, uh, any breath that we take as granted. So thank you, Lord, for your um, great faithfulness in that regard. Uh, but we know that ultimately your grace is shown uh, on the cross where we get to enjoy the blessings of heaven because our uh, Lord and Savior died for us. So help us to know more of that through the text here together. But I do want to lift up what is happening in uh, Turkey and Syria right now, Lord. Uh, it's heartbreaking that so many lives are lost um, and, and they're still ongoing in terms of the search and the rescue. Lord, I pray that you would um, be in the situations and uh, I pray that uh, more lives may be saved. Um, and I pray for the people of the land that um, they will be comforted, though it is a huge grief that I can only imagine. But as I pray for their uh, physical well-being and restoration, I do pray uh, in the hope of the, of the gospel that um, through this tragedy, the people of the land may encounter the gospel, um, that they may be restored spiritually. 
we do pray for the workers that we even support as a church who are uh, there right now in the land, um, tirelessly uh, serving the people uh, physically and uh, spiritually. May you be with them. Um, must be a very tiring time for them right now. Uh, may you uh, fill their hearts with uh, supernatural love and dedication so that uh, through their even smile and conversations with the locals there, uh, may they really understand uh, the hope of the gospel that is in Christ. Oh, Lord, uh, may you come soon as we um, constantly grieve over uh, these uh, natural disasters and uh, tragedies. Uh, but Lord, help us to, at the same time, um, learn to find our ultimate hope uh, and salvation in you alone. Help us, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, three points for us as usual. Uh, those are uh, test the authenticity. Second, consider the consequence. And the third, please God over uh, people. And the title for this message is the gospel test. And as you can kind of feel uh, from the, the reading of the text, it's uh, pretty unusual uh, because normally uh, in, in his letters, Paul, after saying hello, you know, he you know, uh, continues on with a thanksgiving and prayer, but here we see uh, some harsh rebuke instead. And, and that's because the situation of the Galatian church at the time was very dire, where they were about to even lose their identity as uh, Christians. Uh, what that means is, you know, for us, it's an opportunity as a church to learn the foundational truth of the gospel, um, without which we would lose ourselves too. So uh, that's kind of what's going on um, in today's passage in, um, you know, in an overall sense. But uh, let's delve right in to what the Word of God has to say about the gospel together. So first one, first point. Uh, test the authority. Test the authority. Verse 6, it says this, I'm astonished. You can feel the weight right away. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So the Galatians are deserting God the Father who uh, has summoned them into his kingdom of grace. And what that means is, as Paul is about to explain, uh, they are turning to a different gospel. And then Paul quickly clarifies in verse 7, where it says, not that there is another one, another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. What's happening here is that there are teachers among them who are uh, teaching them a distorted version of the gospel, which he says is really no gospel at all. Um, so now, uh, on the surface, we can understand that there's something going on that is um, uh, where there's a distorted form of the gospel, but uh, one thing that we must do, must do at this time to understand what Paul is saying here is to understand what the gospel is, what the gospel is. I think uh, for those of us who may have grown up in church, you might have heard of the word 
quite often, I'm sure, but it's important that we understand what it really means. The word gospel literally means good news. But why is it good news? Here it is. Uh, but in, in, the, in the Roman world, uh, the news by the gospel, the word gospel, uh, was specifically about the establishment of a kingdom or a kingship. And when it says it's a good news, what that means is uh, that the, the king of this new establishment of his kingdom is a good king. And therefore, he does good things for his people under his rule. And that's why when this king becomes a king and his reign is established, it's a good news for the people under him. And the Bible took that secular word um, and concept and, and it uses it uh, for God and his kingdom. So we see that, set, a, set an example uh, in Isaiah 52, 7, where it says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news or gospel of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns, your God is your king. So, just putting that, putting those things together, we now understand that the gospel of Christ is about God, the good king, doing good things for his people, specifically inviting and including his people despite their sins, you know, through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And that's why Paul used the word grace uh, in verse 6 to describe this gospel. Uh, you know, grace is another important word that we shouldn't overlook. It means an uh, undeserved favor, and that's exactly what, you know, God does in the gospel, as, as we just heard about what the gospel is. Meaning, you know, human beings do not deserve to be in his kingdom. You know, human beings are helpless sinners deserving nothing but the righteous wrath of God in hell. You know, they cannot save themselves from that situation uh, because God is a holy, perfect judge who is supposed to uh, let nobody go unpunished for their sins. If he does, then he'll be unjust. But God, at the same time, who is rich in mercy, you know, he sends his son, Jesus Christ, uh, to live the perfect life that we should have lived, and he uh, died a death that we should have died on the cross for our sins. And the gospel says, you know, when a person simply receives this perfect record and work of Christ, he or she uh, is considered righteous before God. It's called justification. They are declared justified, declared righteous before the holy judge. You see how this is grace then, right? Again, we don't deserve that. We deserve condemnation, but because of Christ, we receive blessings and inclusion into God's kingdom instead. And this is good news, therefore, 
you know, we enjoy the glory and blessings of, you know, being a part of God's people, uh, none of which we deserve. That's the gospel. That's the good news. But when Paul says all these things, what's happening is that apparently the Galatians were deserting this gospel, this good news, and God of grace, and they're turning to a wrong gospel, again, which is no gospel at all. Uh, and we'll find out in the rest of the letter that the false teachers in, this, in these churches were attacking God's very grace you know, by requiring you know, people to be circumcised and also to obey the whole Jewish law in order to be justified before God. I mean, they're basically telling people to save themselves by their good deeds. That's what they were doing, and that's why this is bad news. Why? Because if you live in that kind of system of religion, you know, you live in anxiety. You know, you cannot fail lest you incur, you know, God's uh, righteous anger on you. And it's also bad news ultimately because, uh, you know, this will not save them in the end. They're just doing all these things for nothing. Bad news. And that's what they were turning into. And Paul is upset with love. They, he cannot afford to give them affirmation and thanksgiving, but he has to grab them hard and unapologetically tell them that they are turning into a wrong, distorted gospel, which is no gospel at all. And he wants them to stay and remain in the true gospel, which is their life, their identity. If you go to the next few slides, uh, check these pictures out. Arm and hatchet. It's supposed to be arm and hammer, right? And then maybe two more. Adidas. And then the last one. Hike. Something's not right about these pictures and these brands, right? I got this from, I think, the Business Insider. Um, the problem with these pictures is that these are fake brands that try to look like real original brands. But I mean, we have to admit that these are more comical pictures I think people took uh, because these are so obvious, you know, we can detect them very easily. Uh, but imagine if the fake brands, sometimes this happens in, in the real market, you know, they you know, really disguise themselves well uh, you know, to the point that you cannot really distinguish uh, fake from original and you end up buying them, and what's going to happen is that you will waste your money and time and dignity you know, as a consumer. The false gospel is like that. The false so-called gospel in the Galatian churches right now are the knockoff brands, so to speak, that are trying to appear to be the real gospel and trying to tempt the Galatians to accept them. And the Galatians... Paul is saying, may do well to discern the bad news about these fake brands and remain faithful to the true gospel. Discern the fake between fake and true and stay in the true gospel. That's the point of these verses. Now, how do we apply this? You know, what about us? You know, uh, are there any fake so-called gospel in, in our day and age? 
And if so, how do we, like, what do we do about it? How do we discern and, um, you know, how do we obey words of Paul in, in our context? Uh, before I, I go any further here in this line of thought, uh, one thing that we are uh, to uh, not do is to go extremes. There are some extremes about this notion. I think one extreme is, you know, to start calling every single thing or doctrine out there, uh, you know, as false gospel and, and calling them heresies, you know, right away. Uh, and in church history, you know, some people have done that, and um, ironically, many of them ended up becoming cult-like because they became so isolated and uh, extremely exclusive. That's what you know, cults are like, right? So that's an extreme, and, and we don't want to go there. So to guard against these extremes and also you know, trying to apply what Paul is saying here, uh, there's a really helpful tool, a, a schema uh, developed by uh, this Baptist theologian named uh, Al Mohler. Uh, called, uh, he calls it theological triage theological triage. Just like in emergency rooms in hospitals, you know, the, the doctors or triage nurse has to kind of discern what's uh, more important and what's less important to distinguish between, you know, urgent patients and, you know, less urgent patients. I think this, this theologian is trying to help us to do that in, in our uh, effort to discern what is fake and what is not uh, fake but true gospel. And I think it's really helpful, so please follow with me. So he has uh, these three tiers, three uh, levels of uh, evaluation, theological evaluation when trying to discern whether an idea or movement is true or false. The first tier, like the, the slide shows, uh, contains the doctrines that are central to the gospel to the point that if uh, that idea or movement denies any of these doctrines, then, then we are right to call them heresies. And these central doctrines are, like it shows, the Trinity and the full deity and humanity of Christ and justification by faith, like we explained, you know, how it's only by faith we receive, we don't earn salvation, we only receive uh, God's gift in Christ. And lastly, the authority of Scripture Again, denial of any of these doctrines, um, you know, will qualify any movement as heresy. Um, and there's no doubt about it because each of uh, these doctrines uh, is central to what the gospel is. So let me give you an example or two examples. One, uh, the Jehovah's Witness, you, you might have uh, encountered them because uh, they're you know, known for going door to door to uh, evangelize into their doctrines, uh, they are heresy uh, because there are many other things that are wrong about their doctrines, but uh, mainly because they deny the deity of Christ. You know, they claim that, you know, Jesus is not fully God. He's just the creation of God. And, and that's wrong because, uh, you know, if he's not fully God, then his death his atoning death is not sufficient to cover our sins. And no wonder then, uh, if you delve more into Jehovah's Witnesses' um, theology, uh, they rely so much on the rules that they have set um, that 
their adherents have to obey, have to keep in order to complete salvation because in their mind, they state that um, the, the atonement of Christ may have um, made our salvation possible but not complete. Again, it comes from uh, their denial of the deity of Christ. Uh, another example is Mormonism. Uh, Mormonism is a, a very clear heresy because it denies the doctrine of Trinity and blatantly teaches the works, works righteousness, you know, righteousness that, that comes from our effort as opposed to faith. Uh, if you study Mormonism, it's, it's a very interesting system of doctrines. I, can, I cannot go too deep into it right now. But again, mainly it, it teaches that uh, there's no Trinity because uh, they talk about God the Father as the God, but then it also teaches that there's a time that he was not a God, but he became a God through you know, persistent efforts. And they see Jesus as similar being. And then it teaches that, in fact, anybody can become a God if you try hard. And they have this set of rules that you can do, and one of them is not drinking coffee or tea. So I'm sorry, you cannot be a god. I'm sorry. I know a lot of you are coffee drinkers. You can't. But you see, the problem, many problems, but one issue is that, you know, it has a wrong god. You know, they deny Trinity, and uh, they have wrong way of salvation. It's about your works and efforts. Again, it's, it's very similar to uh, what Paul is attacking in this letter so far. So that's the first tier, and, and um, beyond this first tier, I can tell you that second and third tier are doctrines that are important, but not necessarily essential to the gospel, so that you gotta be really careful when you uh, deal with the uh, matters that are in these tiers. So for example, the second tier uh, contains doctrines that are, again, significant and biblical, and you have to hold them tight as conviction, um, enough that you know people create denominations, you know, and individual congregation over these doctrines. Um, but people must never call each other heretics over these differences. You know, examples, good examples are, you know, positions on how baptism should be done, or how the church government, or we call it polity, right, should be done. And again, these are very important aspects of, you know, our theology and, you know, Christian lives, uh, but these do not qualify for heresies. And the third is, you know, a little more personal convictions to the point that, you know, people can coexist within the same denomination and uh, congregation, um, you know, because these are more minor. Uh, I think these imp uh, include, you know, worship style, you know, whether hymn or more contemporary singing or things like that, or, you know, how engaged the church should be in terms of, you know, social justice or politics or things like that. And people are disagreeing with about these things, but again, you know, any of these differences should be qualified to the point of calling any of this, you know, heresy. You get the point. And now, as you apply, you know, this schema, uh, I think it's really helpful, and, and, 
and um, can really help us apply what Paul is saying here. But we have to admit, you have to acknowledge that um, it's not always easy um, to evaluate uh, theological claims, uh, let alone determining which tier any of uh, problem or issue that we are trying to discern belongs to. So as you, you know, try to you know, apply this, you know, again, apply what, what, the, what Paul is saying, there are three things that I would encourage you to keep in mind um, as you uh, evaluate these things. And in fact, these are important. So three things. First, you know, we must be humble and gentle you know, as we approach any theological um, claims or positions. Uh, instead of starting with the I'm right attitude, we must start engage, engaging in any conversations with the, you know, how can I serve others through this conversation? Or, you know, I could be wrong, <laughs> but I want to grow attitude. That's helpful as opposed to, you know, I want to prove myself right. So be gentle, be humble. Second attitude is, we must be biblical. Uh, you know, instead of appealing, I think whenever there, there's any differences in theolo theological positions, you know, people tend to appeal to uh, personal biases from their experiences and what you know uh, sounds good to them. Uh, but we have to understand that every claim has to be evaluated by what the Bible says, and when there is you know good argument between people based on what the Bible says, then that's a good argument. But otherwise, you know, what's going to happen is whoever is more eloquent and has a bigger voice will win the day. And that's not a good way to do church or do, do any ministry or do any Christian life. So be biblical. And thirdly, we must persist in this uh, schema and in this, um, you know, attitude of evaluating any and every claim because... Although, you know, this is a hard thing to do in many ways. A lot of times it's very complex, as I said. But we, we, must, we must never shy away from this because, um, you know, especially if, if it has to do with the first tier, um, you know, claim or matter, uh, you know, we may lose our identity as, as a Christian or, you know, as a believer. If we do not take a stand, about certain things, again, especially the first tier matters, um, you know, we will suffer and we will lose ourselves. We must do it. But on that third point, you know, we can hear more about what Paul says because this is very important. We must continue to evaluate everything in the light of the gospel. And here's what Paul says to help us understand why we must keep doing that. So we come back now to the text uh, to verse 8. And here's what uh, Paul says in verse 8 and 9, actually. It says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. 
let me just straight up tell you what Paul means by the phrase, let him be accursed. And that, that's going to help us understand the, the weight of what he's saying here. The Greek word for this phrase is anathema. I think we, we know, we use that word sometimes in our English conversations. Uh, and now that word is used in Numbers uh, 21.3 in this way. So we read, it says, And the Lord heeded the voice of Israel and gave over uh, the Canaanites, and they devoted them and their cities to destruction. And the, the Greek word, uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the, the Greek word that they used is anathema there, devoting to destruction. So the word, therefore, means, uh, when, when, especially when it has a spiritual element, it means basically suffering in hell, you know, being devoted to destruction eternally. And the commentator Doug Moo says that it means nothing less than suffering the judicial wrath of God. So therefore, Paul is saying, again, unapologetically, saying that you know, anyone who teaches the Galatians a false gospel or so-called gospel will face God's judgment in hell. But it's clear by attacking the teachers, Paul is uh, you know, insinuating here that even the Galatians too, whoever subscribe to their teaching are also in danger of suffering in hell because they deviated from the true gospel. They will also, along with the teachers, face the judgment. So again, that brings us to what we said right before this point. This is a serious thing. That's why we must keep, you know, in being engaged in first-tier arguments all the time because if you do not do it, then you risk being destroyed in hell. Teaching is that important. And God ordained it that way. By which one you take, there is salvation or hell. So now, uh, what does this look like then? You know, so we talked about evaluating theological claims, but that, that sounds very cerebral. Does that really apply to any of us here, you know, who are not all, you know, uh, seminarians or pastors? Does it apply to us? And I would argue it applies to us every single day because everyone is a theologian in your own right. And we've got to be good theologians in order to, again, um, not face the judgment that is a consequence. What that means to me is, uh, like what it means to take this seriously, it means that um, every one of us has to evaluate what we watch, what we read, and what we listen to in our daily lives. Lest there is any judgment. Um, and when I was growing up, in, growing up in Korea, when I was little, uh, I enjoyed watching this TV show uh, that featured people with uh, interesting talents. One such person, you know, who was featured on this show, uh, this one episode, was this guy, you know, who would regularly eat metal objects, 
even like sharp needles and pins. And they did an endoscope into his stomach, and he showed a bunch of small metal objects stuck on his stomach walls. And then the subtitle said, do not try this at home. <laughs> Good warning. Appreciate that. But this is crazy. I mean, I, I don't know the whereabouts of this guy, um, but he was straight up eating metal objects and called that talent. And he was doing that because he was feeling fine and somehow still alive, but as we know, sooner or later, he will face some serious health consequence, if not death. And I share that because you know, our heart, our, uh, the seat of our emotion and our thoughts, our heart is like our stomach in this uh, illustration. And our mind is like our mouth. You know, whatever goes into our mind, like a mouth, whether, you know, again, through watching, reading, and listening, will eventually enter into our hearts and become part of our mindset and worldview unless we control what is processed in our minds. If we mindlessly pass the metal pieces, so to speak, of the worldly gospel, um, you know, the, the anti-gospel values, you know, through our mind, then they will surely become, you know, part of our, like how we view the world and ourselves. That's how it works. And then later on, we'll realize the, the metal pieces of these, you know, bad theology will accumulate in us and eventually kill our soul. I think that's what Paul is saying here. So therefore, we must be awake. The Bible says we have to be sober-minded. That's, that's a phrase that the authors always use over and over. We must think through and inspect all the shows that we watch, uh, books that we read, and the songs and podcasts that we listen to. Again, I'm not saying that we should be, you should cut every single thing of the world. I'm not saying that. I'm saying whatever you engage Yourself in, yourself in, you must evaluate what you're intaking, taking in into your mind and your hearts. Because somebody uh, once very insightfully said that the world is always catechizing us. You know, catechism means, you know, teaching children, right? The, the, he said the world is always catechizing us, meaning it is always teaching us and indoctrinating us uh, to convince us to buy their version of the gospel. I think their gospel sounds like you have to be, become you have to become successful in order to be considered worthy or valuable as a human being, or you have to live like there's no afterlife. Just enjoy the moment and, and do what feels good, regardless of any moral or spiritual consequences. And I, I, I know, I believe these are not foreign things for us right now. These are what we hear every single day. Again, we may say, oh yeah, I mean, we know, we can discern these things, but when we're not awake spiritually, these will indoctrinate us 
and will someday drift us away from the true gospel. So the challenge is, you know, will we, will we take the warning of the Bible in this passage seriously enough to evaluate every single thing in our daily lives? Consider the consequence. And third and last, please God over people. Please God over people. And now I think the line of thought Paul is going at right now after saying all these things is, you know, once you have made up what to take in, in your mind and heart, now what you got to do is you have to live it out. You know, like what Paul is saying is not just the mental exercise, like, oh, evaluate everything and all of that. That's good. That's the first step. But eventually it has to be lived out and we have to take our stand in our daily lives. And I think that's what Paul is saying here. So verse 10, it says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Uh, the phrase there, if I were still trying to please man, I think that indicates that there was a time in Paul's life when he tried to please people. And that was when he was a Pharisee. At that time, you know, before his conversion, he was a zealous Jew who was preaching the, pretty much the same thing that the false teachers in the Galatian churches were teaching. But he went as far as killing people to, you know, force them to accept his version of gospel. And I'm sure he at the time was thinking that he was doing this for God, not for people. Uh, but now he looks back and evaluates what he was like back then. And he says, I was doing it for people. I was trying to please people because his theology was popular and accepted and he was even elevated and praised for what he was doing to Christians. Um, because Jewish people uh, in their theology you know, aligned with what Paul was saying and Paul was encouraged to do what he was doing. But now he's servant of Christ. And now he's preaching the true gospel and he says he is done pleasing people to be accepted by a group of people. And now that's indeed, indeed what is happening in his life because he's being persecuted for it by everybody. He's persecuted by the Jews at the time for preaching Christ and he was also being persecuted by Romans um, you know, for worshiping Jesus as Lord over Caesar. Nobody likes him at this point, but he still preaches the gospel because he now pleases uh, God over people. It's not about accept being accepted by people or any group, uh, but he's standing up for the true gospel and for God. And he's saying the Galatians must do the, do the same thing instead of yielding to the pressures of these false teachers and the, the Jews in the region. So now, in our lives, I believe Paul is saying, we are to do the same thing. <laughs> um, you know, we can be very pressured uh, often to uh, do what you know, would get us accepted by people. But when it comes to the gospel, there will be people who are offended by it. 
But to be sure, you know, in the Western and the American uh, context, there used to be a time when being a Christian was a cool thing to do, to be, right? I think you're, uh, there was a time when, you know, being a Christian was a norm. So, um, you know, everybody wanted to be a, become a Christian to, to fit in. But now, I would argue that it's not so anymore. Uh, I would argue that in any, in any of your context in your daily lives, if you tell people that you're a Christian, I don't think anybody will cheer for you. Uh, I would think that you know, people will either roll eyes at you or you know, think you're being offensive. So the challenge now is in this day and age, you know, will we stand up for God and the true gospel as opposed to you know, being uh, yielding ourselves to the pressures of people and you know, stay down? And now, um, as we apply, try to apply, like what does it mean then you know, for us to stand up for the gospel? And really do that, uh, even you know, by uh, receiving negative reactions from people. What does it mean? I think, for one thing, for sure, I think uh, that could mean verbal. I think it could mean that we take a step of faith and and share what the gospel entails with the people that we perhaps has have have any you know uh, relationship with. That, that they already accept you and they already know you and you can share the gospel verbally. I think that takes courage and I think that is honored. But I would also argue that in many other cases, standing up for uh, the truth of the gospel can look very different. And in fact, it requires lots of wisdom in our daily age because the default attitude towards gospel these days is negative. So there has to be a lot of wisdom when it comes to, um, you know, stand up for what the gospel says and trying to share that with people. Again, verbal can be and should be an option, you know, in the end, but, um, you know, not probably the first step because of what's happening in the culture. Um, just to share, I guess, my example, um, and yesterday, you know, my family uh, and I were invited to a, a birthday party uh, of uh, one of Seth's neighbor friends. You know, she just turned three as well, just like he did a few months ago. And uh, and they host the, the her, and her family hosted her birthday party at this uh, indoor playground in uh, Bloomington. It was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I, I was trying to be a good dad, so I was like trying to play with Seth and other children there, and uh, but realized that I'm a tall man and these structures are pretty, uh, pretty small. So I would imagine that it must have looked pretty uh, comical and uh, you know, if not scary. Uh, but it was fun overall. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, but I think one thing that Dev and I noticed, we, we talked about this on the way back home uh, from the, the party, was that uh, the, the birthday girl and her family, uh, you know, including like uh, obviously her parents, but also her four, all four her grandparents, uh, you know, they have you know special affection for us. 
Uh, that's what we felt. Um, I mean, the, the playground was like packed. It was like indoor playground where they only invited their, own, their exclusive guests from their school and things like that. It was packed, but the family just kept like staying around us and just you know kept like talking about different things and personal things actually. And especially they show a lot of, you know, like affection for Seth. Um, apparently the, the girl calls Seth, you know, her best friend. <laughs> uh, hopefully that's the other, the, the other way around too. I haven't asked Seth yet quite, but, uh, but it's just a lot of, you know, affection for uh, Seth and, you know, my family. And I just felt really, you know, warm by that. And I, I think I could tell that they feel really safe around us. Uh, but I can tell you that, you know, we've come a long way uh, to that point yesterday. I can tell you that, you know, when we first met, um, you know, as you know, new neighbors, um, and, uh, you know, obviously we're interested like, about, you know, what we're doing, uh, what, what we do for a living, and, um, you know, I just interest myself as a pastor, and you know, I got, the, I got the usual reaction. This is the usual reaction when I tell people that I'm a pastor. They just don't know how to react. <laughs> it's like, oh, some people say, oh, cool, or interesting, or uh, all of the above, you know. So they just didn't know how to react because, you know, it's just very unique. And also, you know, they don't have probably good um, experiences, to be honest, with uh, other Christians that they grew up with. Um, so it definitely took some time, a lot of time actually, uh, for us to develop that relationship. You know, I think uh, there was a lot of intentional hangouts that we did, like play dates, and you know, Seth always went over to their house and you know, like play with them, and I would just talk with the parents, you know, on the side. Um, it took, yeah, like I'll say, several years, um, and and now, and like when I uh, thought about what happened yesterday, I just feel really blessed because now they totally accept me as a person, as a pastor, and, you know, they always talk about a lot of personal things with us now, and, um, you know, especially, you know, talk a lot about joys and difficulties of being parents of young kids, and uh, a lot of inside jokes, too, now, and um, it's, it's, it's great. We really love getting to know them. They're lovely people. Uh, again, like, even their um, parents were grandparents of the girl. Uh, we, we love it. And what I'm trying to say here is that I think, you know, Deb and I just were unsure what it would look like for us to, like, really be a blessing to them and, uh, um, you know, standing up for the gospel for our neighborhood. And I think what we, you know, feel right now is, wow, you know, God is using these relationships to the point that, you know, maybe in a few years, Lord willing, you know, they'll be comfortable hearing about what the gospel is. And we can truly uh, use what God has prepared for us in order to uh, love them well and serve them well for the gospel. And, and I wonder then uh, what you know, this may look like for you and your unique God-ordained context. You know, we all have different you know, uh, callings and contexts and lifestyles and you know, jobs and things like that. And I think God really ordained every single one of those interactions and relationships, you know, for any of this to happen. And, and I wonder what that may look like for you. 
And I pray that as we take what Paul says seriously and try to, again, be awake about what the world teaches us against the gospel, may we also live it out and learn to love people and uh, truly stand up unapologetically for what, what God teaches us in the gospel. Let's pray together. May I invite you to, uh, before we respond with the song, um, uh, can we just uh, preach to ourselves what the gospel is? Um, Because I believe unless we enjoy it ourselves, unless we love it ourselves, how can we even uh, make efforts to remain in the gospel and even live it out? I think it really starts from, you know, how we, how are we doing with the the gospel that is presented to us? Uh, And the gospel, the good news is that that you are valued. Um, We're not just, you know, accidents, um, just the products of, you know, random things. You know, we were intentionally created by God as His image bearers. And when we fell away in our sins, we live in you know, hopeless world. We live in hopeless life um, where we keep doing things that will never satisfy us. So that and life but God in his grace broke through the darkness and sent his son to bleed and die for our sins and gave us the best gift of all that we are to only receive through faith This is grace. This is God's amazing love for us. And this is for you. Uh, And God is preaching uh, this truth to each one of us here. Uh, I think to me that's another evidence of how much he loves you. So may we enjoy right now, embrace this gospel that is for us before we go any further. Let's pray together.